getting ready for work. A meticulous process that involves shaving, glitter, hairspray, and a wig. But instead of performing at a nightclub, Hi, hello, and the venue is the Brooklyn Public Library in Park Slope at 10 o'clock in the morning. Who wants to be a drag queen when they grow up? <laughs> Little Miss Hot Mess. Who is ready for a story? Is the host of Drag Queen Story Hour. This one is called Worm Loves Worm. Talking, singing, and reading. We can both be grooms. To an audience of preschoolers, toddlers, and their caregivers. The hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 swish. The library started scheduling Drag Queen Story Hour last year. I'm a girl! And is already looking to expand to other locations. Drag Queen Story Hour is uh, fantastic because uh, it ha addresses all of these issues of gender fluidity and self-acceptance um, and all of these topics that um, are real, are very, very real. And so is the backlash. Many negative comments have been posted online about the program. The AP has agreed not to use the drag queen's legal name because he said he feared harassment. But those are people who think that gay people are sinful or evil or you know, bad to begin with. Um, so, you know, we're sort of just starting from such different places that it's kind of irrelevant to me. The program, though, is a hit with the participants here. It was great. So much energy. Did you like it? Yeah. yeah. Parents say they welcome the diversity. You know, that's what I'm looking for in all of our outings is to present different ways of being in the world and make that fun and available to my kid. A different take on story time. Penelope wanted to dress kind of cool, but Tiny sort of wants her to dress kind of normal. Do you get it? Everyone thinks that this girl is a boy because she's a little bit of a tomboy. Engaging young minds through sights and sounds. Who wants blue? Ted Shaffrey, Associated Press, New York. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That is the world in which we live, where your children goes to the library to get a book with a nice, uh, well, you expect perhaps some nice librarian who understands the content of her library, tries to help your child. Not anymore. And parents are actually cooperating with Drag Queen Story Hour, and the American Library Association is pretty apoplectic about this wonderful opportunity that they have. They have a new president, Emily Drabinsky, who is a lesbian Marxist. That's what we're going to talk about today, the American Library Association and where in the world this came from and how we can stop it. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity to support Preborn. Let me just give you a report. From January to June, just this year, from January to June, there have been 4,954 commitments to Christ. Remember, this isn't just about saving babies. It's about eternal life as well. That's pretty amazing. But how many babies were saved, you might want to ask. From January to June of 2023, 28,845. 28,845. Uh, and by the way, something I don't talk about often, but they actually, because of gener generous and people who have more money than some of you might have, they have placed 32 additional ultrasound machines in clinics around the country. That's just a bit of a mini report on what's happening with uh, preborn. If you have not yet helped buy uh, you know, an ultrasound for a girl who's in a crisis pregnancy or a mom, a woman, whatever word you want to say, you can do that right now by going to preborn.com slash 
Sandy, that's preborn.com slash Sandy. I also want to remind you, you can call us. You might want to call us after you hear this show at 662-821-2040 and leave us a message. 662-821-2040. Or you can write us at Sandy at AFR.net. You can listen to the show on any podcast platform. If you have a friend who wants to listen and is not used to podcasts, tell them to go to sandyrios.com. That's a really easy way to find the podcast and listen. And you can also go on our, our Facebook page, which is Sandy Rios 24-7, which is where we will post things we talk about during the podcast. All right, so sit back. This is really fascinating stuff. You know, upsetting, but there are things that you can do. So this is today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. There are no public concerns about libraries grooming children. That is an extremist view of libraries. Almost no one in the public shares that view. In my vision of a socialist future, our systems for sharing are robust. Libraries need to be seen as a terrain of struggle for those of us on the left. And it, it becomes difficult to think about law as something of the sort of real thing that needs to be complied with. It's fun and frothy to read about gay people doing gay things. I have a right to read those materials, and the library has an obligation to provide those to me as part of the public that they serve. The family, marriage, and home. And for those of us whose queerness includes the subversion of those kinds of normal family types, this ideological story excludes us. It it makes it hard to sort of make the decision to buy a book, make the decision to host a drag queen story hour, make the decision to include a gay book in your collection. Like, it makes it very, very scary because you could be, um, you know, there have been bills passed to put a bounty on librarians' heads for circulating child pornography. Bisexuality, homosexuality, and lesbianism, those are listed in the classification as two different things. Transvestism, transsexualism, and then we move to sort of more socially... you can see it as sort of progressing from socially best and most most acceptable to least acceptable. Sadism, masochism, fetishism, prostitution, and then masturbation. And I think it depends on how the cultural moment views masturbation, but to see it in this list um, tells us something about how it was viewed at the time that the classification was developed. That's the voice of Emily Drabinsky. Guess what she does for a living? She's the president of the American Library Association. Before we start this discussion, could I just tell you, I found just randomly shopping, looking around, I found this little book called The Good Citizen's Handbook. It's got a kind of rendering like from the 40s and 50s that was part of American school life and 60s, probably too early 60s. It's got a boy with his hand over his heart 
uh, pledging allegiance and part of the whole network of that day and time and the fabric of America that most of you don't remember was the American Library. The librarian was your friendly uh, neighborhood at the time. Every town had a library. Even small towns had libraries. And they were places of intellect and teaching. And the librarian was there to help facilitate. But she was there to help facilitate morality, uh, good citizenship, the knowledge of your country, American history, uh, values that was deeply in the core of the American Library Association. And yet we find ourselves here where a Marxist lesbian named Emily Drabinsky is now the president of the American Library Association. We're going to talk about what's happening there, who she really is. And to do that, we've asked Tom Jones, who's the founder and CEO of the American Accountability Foundation, and Andy Roth, who's the president of the State Freedom Caucus Networks, to join us today. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. All right, so let's uh, let's go here first because uh, Tom, I want to ask you, uh, what in the world caused the American Accountability Foundation to to kind of uh, how did Emily get on your uh, radar screen and what brought this particular issue to your attention? Certainly, there's no want of issues right now to be concerned about. So why this one? Yeah, so yeah, Sandy, I had. I have kind of the same memory of, of libraries that you do. I grew up outside of Baltimore, and the North Point Public Library in Baltimore County, Maryland, was where I went after school uh, pretty much three or four days a week before wrestling practice. And I'd go there, and I'd have a librarian help me with my homework, and, and they, you know, I'd grab a magazine before wrestling practice. And it was kind of a, it was a meeting place, a place to study, um, and it was really a, a part of the community. And the reason the ALA got on AAS radar screen is because they've been having a, a concerted effort to transition from that place where kids can go after school and study to a place that is a focus of indoctrination and radical social policies that are out of step um, with, you know, with any community. Uh, there are no, there are really no communities in in America, outside of maybe the the hardest hardcore parts of New York and San Francisco, that want to be led by a radical Marxist. So what the ALA has done is they've used they're using our libraries as an entry point to, to push a radical agenda to young people, and they understand that they understand this is the place the kids go after school, and if they can get them early and really push um, what is many times filth and and smut. Um, that they're really going to have a, a lasting effect on the on the culture of America. So that's why we we engaged. And AAF really believes that bad policies have to happen because of bad people. Personnel is policy, and we wanted to look at the the leader of this organization, Emily Drabinsky, to see who she was, what her values were, and what agenda she was going to bring to the ALA, and then more importantly to the libraries around our country. So that's really how. Um, she percolated up through the, you know, many issues that we need to tackle um, to be the one that we spoke the focus time on researching. Okay. All right. So and we're going to get into, well, we will get into her past and her present. It's pretty appalling uh, to most of us, but boy, the world is changing. Andy Roth is the president of the State Freedom Caucus Network. Now, the State Freedom Caucus Network is a relatively new entity. Maybe, I don't even think it's two years. Andy, have you been in existence Two years yet? Yeah, we launched in December 2021, and basically we took the House model, the, the, the business model of the House Freedom Caucus, 
in Washington, D.C. We knew that they were the conservative North Star in Congress. We knew that what they were doing was correct and righteous and the leaders of the conservative movement. So we said, well, why aren't we doing that in the 50 states? Uh, we know uh, that there are 50 swamps in the 50 state capitals. And so we started in December of 2021 uh, law- helping to launch state freedom caucuses made up of the most conservative state lawmakers in each of the state capitals. Our first one was the Georgia Freedom Caucus. Then we did uh, Mississippi, South Carolina, and then most recently, Louisiana. So we have 11 total states, uh, but our goal, of course, is to eventually get to all 50. Yeah, you know what, before we get into the, just the, specifically the Library Association, can you just kind of, look, I'm watching this and loving it, uh, and a lot of this comes into my box, and I don't always get to talk about it on the air. Can you give me kind of some highlights of what you think you guys have accomplished in the various states? Yeah, so basically the establishment likes to operate in the dark. If nobody is paying attention, then they're able to grow government, uh, infringe our liberties, and violate our family values. And the dirty little secret is that a lot of red states uh, may seem conservative, but they've been captured by the Democrats and liberal Republicans. For instance, in Wyoming, uh, the Wyoming State House has 57 Republicans to only five Democrats. So you would think that they're passing all sorts of conservative, awesome policies. But the fact is is that a lot of liberals want to run for state office. They know they can't put a D after their name, so they put an R after their name, and then they win and then vote like Democrats. So in the example of Wyoming, uh, 57 Republicans to five Democrats, when you look at their actual voting record, it's 36, uh, 36 liberals to 26 conservatives. So we're able to, to, to lose even in what we thought are our red states. Now, since we've launched our state freedom caucuses, we have tried to highlight that contrast. And I can tell you that we are creating what is effectively civil wars in a lot of these states. The establishment has been found out. They have been exposed. But all we need to do is keep getting louder and louder. Going back to Wyoming, our Wyoming Freedom Caucus successfully and unilaterally killed film subsidies for Hollywood and Medicaid expansion. Uh, But they were only able to do that because they were loud and they exposed the liberal Republicans. But that's the kind of example that we're trying to do in all of these states. And frankly, we've got to get into the red states first. Uh, because those are the ones where the establishment is deceiving voters the most. And the thing of it is, uh, as you, as we both, as we both, I think the election of 2020 and uh, 2016 before that really exposed the underbelly of the establishment Republicans who have run for years as conservatives but aren't at all. And now I think of Mitch McConnell. I think of Kevin McCarthy. I think of all, all the frauds that have brought us to this uh, brink of disaster. I, I, I have worse views of them than I do, I shouldn't even say this, but I do, of uh, outright enemies on, on uh, issues. I do, cause they are, because they are uh, dishonest in their positions. So this is what you guys are in the business of doing. Uh, so, so, Andy, uh, with this issue on the American Library Association, I'm guessing that uh, the Freedom Caucus members in various states, uh, I'm guessing, were alerted to this by 
concerns about like drag queen story hours and such. Can you just tell me uh, how that brought the, how this came to your attention? Yeah, actually, it came to our attention just a few months ago when Montana, where we have a Montana Freedom Caucus, their state library association decided to sever ties with the American Library Association over their president being a Marxist lesbian. And and obviously, even if she were to able, if she were to eventually leave the presidency of the ALA, that organization is still rotten to the core. So when Montana left, that popped it on our radar, and we're like, we've got to alert all of the states to get out of this organization. And so all 11 of our state freedom caucuses uh, put out statements saying um, that their states need to sever all ties with the ALA. Most recently, and I believe it was uh, last week, Texas became the next state to leave the ALA, and I know that we've got pressure in all of our 11 states and even some that we don't have Freedom Caucuses in. And let me make one uh, reminder to all of your listeners. You probably remember in 2021 when the National School Board Association uh, put a letter to Merrick Garland saying that they need to investigate all these angry parents that go to school board meetings <laughs> and determine whether they're domestic terrorists. And that oh, I... started... Uh, uh, a tidal wave of states leaving the National School Board Association. So we want to do the exact same thing with the ALA because the radical left is taking over these trade associations, and we've got to stop it. Yes, I want to just say before uh, uh, Tom and I were talking, I mentioned this to him. You know, I've uh, been on radio a long time. I was in uh, Chicago in the late 90s. And, uh, uh, you know, Chicago's a big town, and the American Library Association was very strong there, and education is very important, was in Illinois. Illinois used to be a great state. Indiana, too, our neighbor, who also listened to our radio stations. And so it came to our attention that the American Library Associations then were doing some horrible things. And the thing that I do remember is that they, were, uh, they began to allow pornography in the libraries, and they would allow street people to come in, men, to come in and view pornography, not cover the screens, not put them in a back room even, uh, but allow them to be there with the children. And there were being some, some molestations taking place in these libraries. And that was the first time that I uh, realized that the American Library Association was going south. Uh, Tom, let's talk a little bit about what's happened, practically speaking, from your perspective, under the tutor or the leadership of Emily Drabinsky. Then we'll talk about her. What what kind of things have happened uh, that reflect her views? Yeah, so I, I think what we're seeing from Drabinsky during her leadership of ALA is really, um, you know, in her own words, putting queerness as at the center of what the ALA does and what they use their librarians to do. I mean, you know, I know, and like, I've worked in politics a long time, and sometimes our debates get a little bit hyperbolic and throw around Marxists and words like this. But that's not the case with Emily Trevinsky. She's very clear about what she wants to do. And it's, you know, she's clear about being a Marxist. And more importantly, she's clear about using the libraries as a tool to, to implement that agenda. You know, she's, we've got her on record saying, Queerness needs to be at the west gate of the library. That this needs to be what kids see when they come through the door. Um, these type of this type of material, um, sexually explicit, radical, and provocative, needs to be what young kids are getting in the young adult section 
of the library in the children's section of the library. So she's going to, you know, she's not shy about this. And, and I think it's important to your listeners. We can't be shy about this fight. They're engaged full bore in using this access point in every community to reach your children. Um, and she's going to be very aggressive about it. And they've got a large organization. They're well-funded. And librarians know how to organize stuff. Um, so you're going to see a group that's going to be aggressive about pushing this this material um, out to children. So it, you know, it's um, you've got to ask yourself, what what does an organization that Alexa Marxist, what do they think and what do they want to do? Um, is this an anomaly? No, it's, a, it's an organization that's really rotten to the core and is going to use their power um, to reach children. And, and most importantly, reach children when their parents can't. Um, they're very explicit about that. It should be very concerning to um, to your listeners. Yes, because I think she's been pretty clear that she. This is why this is no surprise to us. I would just say that parents are more aware now than they used to be. But I'm sure there are still parents who can't imagine that this would be happening. Even I know there's a lot of immigrant parents. I think of them who are not for you know mm-hmm. English is not their first language, and they send their kids off to school and libraries and have no idea what's happening to their children. I want to read just a quote from yeah. Emily. She says um, in an article uh, in Queering Library Space, I guess that's her title, Queering Library Space. Uh, she said she aims to make libraries a space based on an ideology that centers centered notions of queerness and difference rather than democracy and citizenship. Um, so, and then parental rights, so she's against that. I think, what have you found out about her? I know you guys did an entire report, a research memorandum, memorandum just her background. Well, how did she, do you know anything about that? I don't know how far back you go, but how in the world did this woman become a, what's her background, that she should be a queer out Marxist? Yeah, I mean, she's been working in the university system for ages, and it's kind of come up within that bubble um, and is long been a, um, a gay and lesbian activist, whether it's within the library system um, or just as a student, and has kind of worked her way up through that part of the community and then ran a very successful race um, that galvanized a lot of librarians and was able to take over um, the leadership of the American Library Association. So, you know, she's at the City University of New York as a um, you know, government employee, um, and is now running around the country and running around the world, kind of postulizing the virtues of left-wing activism to library associations and, and state library agencies um, to use this, again, as this tool to indoctrinate young people. Um, so she's, you know, she came up, in addition to coming up in kind of the queer movement, also came up in, um, in the hard-left labor movement, was very influential in organizing workers in, uh, in Long Island and New York, um, a few years ago. So her organizational bona fides are, are very strong. Look, you know, what she's doing is wrong and destructive. But if we think these people aren't good at their job and they're not effective, um, we're in for a, a really a rude awakening because they're good at their job, they're well organized, and they're coming for your kids. Um, so unless we're going to, you know, kind of suit up and put our pads on, um, we're going to lose to these folks. So she's, she's good at her job. You know, you don't, you, you don't win as a, a queer radical Marxist without being good at organizing, um, and that's exactly what happened. Well, I, t- I think of two things. I think of the, the left, um, the Marxists, have what they call, designed what they call, a long time ago, the Long March 
through the institutions. And what that meant was they planned to, years ago, when we thought this wasn't possible, we couldn't imagine it, they planned on slowly taking over every professional organization and every, every discipline in order to control the culture. So when we look at the American Medical Association... Uh, and their their discussion about you know transgender treatments and and now this is a separate issue Marxism and transgenderism merge but they're not we're really talking about two different things but they both agree that control is important and they take power through the top the, the retirement uh, gosh I can't even think uh, the, the the AARP is controlled by leftists and every organization the 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 uh, the um, organization for attorneys. The American Bar Association, they managed to take over just about the leadership, now the, now the corporate entities in this country, and that is the plan. It's the long march to the institutions. Uh, then I want to say one more thing. Uh, there, is a, there was a, a book in the late 90s written called After the Ball, and for the whole LGBTQ uh, uh, issue, they wrote their roadmap in writing in this book about how they were going to queer America. And they, to your point, Tom, they have been so organized and so focused, and they have actually done exactly what they laid out in the late 90s. It's in the late 80s. It's, it's pretty stunning. Uh, but let's separate the two. I guess uh, let's talk about the Marxism aspect of it. That's one thing. I want to go back to you, uh, uh, Andy. In Montana, you said they're the, first, they're the first, right, state that withdrew from the American Library Association? Correct. So they, you had this girl. Now, I don't know how much of these details. I'm reading this from an article, and I don't expect you to remember everything in the articles. But Elsie Arntzen, I guess, is the, was the big spokesman pushing back on that. Do you, can you know anything about the actual fight there? I don't. I just know that uh, Emily Drabinsky was um, elected last year. She didn't uh, assume the role of president um, until just this year. But the news of what she was doing and what the ALA was advancing was became well-known last year. And so I think a lot of states started to look at that and question whether it was a good idea to belong to the ALA. Let me just highlight real quickly how nefarious this organization is. They use our tax dollars, which is the most insulting part, to buy these Marxist books and these the pornography books to then, and they buy them in bulk, which goes directly into the pockets of these authors. Um, they buy them in bulk, then put them into our libraries. And then what the ALA does is they provide the training for all of the librarians across our country. They are quite literally the backbone of our library system, the ALA is. And the fact that they uh, use our tax dollars is the most insulting part about this. And so if we're going to succeed here, we have to stop the money. And that means we got to stop it at the federal level, we have to stop it at the state level, and we got to stop it at the, the local level. So yeah, and that's the, the fight in front of us. Well, so Andy then, has a really important point. When he first beginning of this interview was talking about the 50 swamps, I think we also need to be aware of kind of the 30,000 swamps in the counties around the country. What you know, part of the reason we're working on this issue is we think there's a lot of county executives and um, and state legislators who are just not aware of what's going on in their local libraries. And what we're hoping to do is educate the county executive in my county of Nelson, Nelson County, Kentucky, or 
you know, Baltimore County, where I used to grow up, educate them about what the ALA is doing and how the ALA has access to the local librarians and really has sway over what the their local library is purchasing so that they can go and say, look, this is not the values of my community. I don't want my library funding the ALA. I don't want them paying dues. I don't want them using their purchasing lists, and they need to sever their relationship. We get counties around the country to start doing that. I think that's when it's really going to change the behavior of the ALA and really undermine their influence. But it's got to it's got to be a multi-pronged approach. You got to be hitting it on the federal level. You got to be hitting it in the 50 swamps, and then you got to be hitting it in the 30,000 county councils around the country that have control over the local library system, so that the ALA does not have this pipeline into the local library, who the librarian who the communities trust. You know, you've hit a chord with me because I, I just, uh, you've given me a chance to restate what I've said so often on the air. Uh, in the last few years or several years, I have discovered areas in the country where people took on their local authorities. Now, first, let me just start it this way. Everything right now, almost every single thing in the news, almost every single thing certainly coming out of D.C. is discouraging, depressing, worrying, anxiety-producing. Uh, but so people are, you know, they're really, they don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. But this is what you can do. Those of you listening, this is what you can do. I have talked for years about Goochland County in Virginia who went into their county. Their county, was, it's a beautiful area outside of Richmond, but uh, they, it had fallen to disrepair and means economically. Uh, things were falling apart. The county board was running things terribly. The school board was doing horrible things. And a group of people organized in Goochland and completely transformed their county. They took over the county board. They took, I don't know about the library. I'm sure they did that too. Uh, they did a clean sweep, and Goochland did a complete about-face economically and just the, a place to live. They did that. They took control. And out of that, actually, came Dave Bratt, who was uh, uh, the upset candidate a number of years ago. Uh, and I've seen there's a county in uh, Michigan doing the same thing, you guys. It's out. It's not. I, I'm not sure I can think of the county, but it's the Nuego, Michigan area. They're doing the same thing. They got organized. They've thrown out, really, the rhinos in their local party, and they are now learning, people who are just folks who have kids or they may be professionals, but they've never been in politics before. They're transforming their area. That's what everyone listening to me can do. You can't do everything. You can't do anything about Joe Biden, maybe, or Hunter Biden, but you can do something about your local area. And that brings me to you, Andy. I, when we talk about the um, State Freedom Caucus Network, can you help us understand, for people listening, they probably love the sound of that if they're conservatives, but what does that mean to them, and how can they intersect or get involved or help? Because, again, you're talking about people in elected office. So what's the intersection there, and how can they help? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as I mentioned before, the, the establishment likes to operate in the dark, and that is so true at the state level. Um, unfortunately, most people don't know who their state rep is or their state senator. Uh, there's very little media coverage about what goes on at the state capitol. These are part-time lawmakers, so it's, it just doesn't get a lot of attention. So that means a lot of bad things can happen. But that's why we have created the State Freedom Caucus Network, is to reclaim our rights and reclaim our values that have been taken away from us. And so I would tell your listeners to, one, go to our website at statefreedomcaucus.org, 
on our website is a map of where we have state freedom caucuses, but also where we don't. And if you see one where we do have one, I highly encourage your listeners to reach out to our state freedom caucus and say, sign me up. Uh, I'll give me everything you need and I'll be a cheerleader for you and I'll help you fight these fights. And if you're in a state where we don't have one, then I think it's imperative that they find out who the most conservative lawmakers are in their state and encourage them to start a state freedom caucus and to reach out to us and we'll work with them. And I, I can say that we do have 11, 11 states up and running right now. We hope to get four or five more by the end of this year. And I think we can ultimately get into all 50 within three to four years. And and not only do I hope we do, uh, we must. Uh, the way to save this country, I believe, is at the state level. And if we're successful, then I think we can save this republic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's really the only, really, I think D.C. is just gone. I do. I just often say, and I'm not wishing anybody to die, I just wish it would sink into the ocean and just disappear. We would be so much better off if we didn't have Washington, D.C. We could even, I hate losing the history there or the monuments, but I would, if we could get rid of the rodents that live there and operate and are poisoning our world and our country and destroying it, then I would be willing to, you know, start fresh. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's going to happen. I agree with you, Andy. It's going to happen in the states. You know, I just want to mention, uh, and then I need to we need to say goodbye here. But um, Andy, I know that one of your I think it's your leader of your state uh, freedom caucus in Georgia is uh, the only person I've heard about. Doesn't mean it's the only person who's fighting back uh, the prosecutor there, Fannie Willis, who's uh, trying to get the the uh, legislature to convene and and uh, sort of weigh in on this. Do you know anything about what's happening there? Oh, yeah. You, you bet I do. Uh, Colton Moore, he's a state senator, freshman, great guy. He's like, like I said, state lawmakers are typically part time. And Colton is an auctioneer um, by 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 training. And but he he takes a, a, a portion of his life and devotes it to service. And he's a state senator in Georgia, a freshman. And when he saw that Trump was so uh, unfairly indicted by Fannie Willis, he filed um, a motion and urged a special session in the Georgia legislature to investigate and, and potentially impeach uh, Fannie Willis. Um, he's a state senator. He put out that letter, and immediately it was national news. His Twitter following went from like 400 people to, I think, 30,000. He was on all the news shows, the conservative news shows. And then our Georgia Freedom Caucus chairwoman, uh, Charlie's Bird, who's a state rep, she put out a similar letter for the House side. So the Georgia Freedom Caucus is leading this effort uh, in the state. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that if we did not have a Freedom Caucus in Georgia, none of this would be happening. Oh, I know. Listen, I've been around a long time. Yep, I've watched this. Just It's been driving me crazy. I think people are beginning to wake up, though. This scam of uh, otherwise people called Republicans of pro-life who do nothing and uh, get, get elected on that and then do nothing. It's, it's very disgusting, especially when you see what's happening to our country. You can go to statefreedomcaucus.org, statefreedomcaucus.org, uh, to find out who your Freedom Caucus people are, if you have one in your state, uh, and how you can help them or how you can get involved. And you don't have to be a politician. You can be a mom working out of her kitchen who's taking care of kids in this 
uh, phase of your life, you can get involved. I find sometimes moms are the are the best, <laughs> but it's not just them. You could also be a businessman who has a part time has the ability part time to do some work or to help. There is a way. There is something you can do. So go to statefreedomcaucus.org. Tom, Tom, uh, do you want to make your uh, report available to people uh, on uh, Emily Dobrinsky? Sure, that would be great. If people can go to American-AF.org, uh, the report on Emily Drabinsky, the ALA, and a number of other research projects that AAF has conducted will be available for them. And we'd, we'd love to have them take a look and then reach out to us if there's any questions or any, any way we can partner with folks in their local communities to educate their lawmakers. Okay, America.AF.org. And we'll put that on our Facebook page, by the way, so you can follow up with it. Um, all right, so Tom and Andy, it's been a pleasure, and, and I'm so grateful for your leadership. Both of you are doing great things that we didn't even get to. Tom, I want to talk to you in another, uh, on another day about what you're doing to help uh, stop the, woking, the waking, the awoking of the American military. You guys are doing <laughs> some great work on the front line of that, so we need to talk about that as well at the American Accountability Foundation. So Tom Jones a founder and CEO of the American Accountability Foundation, and Andy Roth, the president of the State Freedom Caucus Network. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me on. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, we couldn't have these kinds of discussions unless we had great sponsors, and we do. And we have a new one. It's Christian Health Ministries. You may have seen it. Now they're advertising on Fox. So you're going to be hearing more about them. They've been around for, they're the oldest uh, Christian health sharing ministry in the country. And they operate in all 50 states and around the world. And the wonderful thing about them is that you can use the same doctor you use now. Or if you have a special problem and you want to go to another doctor, they don't have a network. They just, whatever, wherever you want to go, they apply, however it works, they apply it to their payment uh, to the doctor that you want to see. I think that's huge. So this is the enrollment period, and perhaps if you, uh, you know, you may not be happy with your health care. So many people aren't. It's either too too high or it doesn't cover enough or it's just not the right fit for you. So if you are interested in looking into this, and I think you should if you're not happy with your current health care, or even compare prices. It's chministries.org, chministries.org, and please tell them that Sandy Rios sent you. I want to remind you that you, well, you might have something to say after that conversation about the American Library Association. I hope it stimulated your thought. Uh, and if you have something to say or report, for that matter, from your area, you can call 662 821 2040. That's 662 662- 821-2040. You can write us at sandy at afr.net. That's sandy at afr.net. You can find the podcast easily at sandyrios.com, plus other information about just what we're doing and places we'll be. sandyrios.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. And of course, afr.net is our home base. And so there you can go to find us. Okay, well, my sweetheart Bruce is going to join us in a second because uh, we've been listening to this together and he has some really important observations. Uh, But first, let's listen to this because we talked about the out lesbian Marxist who is the president of the American Library Association. I thought you might enjoy just a few more minutes of what she has to say. Let's listen. 
And then sexual life is followed by what it's all ostensibly for, the family, marriage, and home. And for those of us whose queerness includes the subversion of those kinds of normal family types, this ideological story excludes us and the ways that we form familial connections and how we engage in reproductive labor. She's very clear that she wants to queer the American library, uh, that it wants to, she wants it to be all about LGBTQ issues. She complains that many of the books in the library currently are just too conservative, which, by the way, I doubt that because I know the American Library Association has been about the business of purging good books for a couple of decades now. Uh, but uh, I'd say, Houston, we have a problem. And with that, I'd like to bring my husband. And Bruce, you've always loved libraries. Ever since I met you, you always take out library books still, even though you have all, all kinds of things available. What, what, how did you use it when you were growing up? Well, my dad worked nights, and so he'd read during the day. And uh, if we were home, he often read to us, or he'd take us with him to the library. And I just found it a fascinating place. So many topics, so much information. Of course, there's no internet at that time. So really, the library was where you went to get educated. But tell me, I'm your wife, I haven't ever asked you this. Why do you still go to the library <laughs> when you can find a book anywhere? Seriously. I just really like the atmosphere. Um Again, browsing, so many things. And fortunately, the, the librarians I've run into here have been very helpful and have been quote-unquote normal. But when I hear people like Ms. Drabinsky, it really shocks me that this is who... And, and you've told me this over the years, that you have to be very careful. These people have an agenda at the libraries. And I have to say that it, it took me some convincing to get there, but I think I've been convinced. Yeah, and you know, I do think that's where we've been, um, because no one could comprehend, when I used to say this in the late 90s, what the American Library Association was doing, allowing pornography open on computers, where men from the streets, or just men in general, could come and groom children, and children were would go after school and be in harm's way. It was a whole thing, and people didn't believe it. Well, and, I, and as your guests were saying, this the library is a place where there are no there are no parents if the kids come in on their own and so they're ripe for being influenced and i think anyone who's honest with themselves knows probably can remember the first time that they had an experience that they it felt different to them you know and and and, and maybe they saw something uh, a picture or they read something in a book that like, wow, that's, I've never had that experience before. And that's the kind of thing where you need a parent there to lead you through it. And if you have a librarian there who, whose agenda, as Ms. Drabinsky says, her agenda is not to present just an alternative view of sexuality. Her own words was, my mission is the subversion of the normal family. So... You know, you can imagine if someone like her is there when when a when a child experiences a a new experience in their life um, yeah. about sexuality. What do you think, Miss Drabinsky is going to? How do you think well, she's going to explain it to well, the child? Well, they're already grooming them with pictures and all of that. Now, I I want to say also to clarify, uh, she yes is a radical lesbian, but uh, the Marxist part of this, uh, the Marxist goal was to do away with the family as well to decompose and destroy it. And the reason for that was you could gain control over people if you break up their family units or their familial organizations, including football, which we talked about, Bruce, you and I. Well, you know, that's, that's how so many 
criminal organizations operate too. Um, uh, getting people hooked on drugs. A lot of times, it's they prey on people that are on their own, that are somewhat uh, vulnerable or down, and and that's that's what it sounds like they're doing here. Is that they they're looking for children. I'm sorry, maybe this is going over the line, but. Um, it's it's about indoctrination of your children. It's yeah. not just presenting um, books to them. It's going after them. You know, one other thing, uh, just that I want to talk to you about, just for a second, Bruce. And people could not see this in the in the clip, the opening clip of the show. If you could have seen it, uh, they ask people in the audience to comment, and you heard a couple of people say, "Oh, it was wonderful. I I went to deduce my." children to new experiences and new ways of living. It was just wonderful. They had their little kids on their laps. Um, this is the stunning thing about it. It's sickening. It really is. I, I don't know what is going on with so many. I, I'll pick on mothers right now because we've had more experience with that. Um, even people we know have these feelings about their kids like we... We think they need to experience these things. And, you know, I have to tell you, Sandy, I don't think the kids want to experience these things. I think this is about the parents show, uh, playing to each other. Like, I'm hip, I'm cool, I'm woke. Yeah. Uh, and you know who's being hurt? Not the parent, the child. Yes. The child is being hurt. You know what? Let me take a moment. Uh, we have a clip from a drag queen. Now, this is a guy in drag, and uh, he has a warning to parents. It's actually pretty stunning. Let's listen. I have no idea why you want drag queens to read books to your children. I have no idea. What has a drag queen ever done to make you have so much respect for them and admire them so much, other than put on makeup and, and jump on the floor and writhe around and do sexual things on stage? I have absolutely no idea why you would want that to influence your child. All right, I think that's pretty bold. And he has a lot more to say, as a matter of fact, but isn't that something that a drag queen himself would now call out parents for bringing their kids to the drag queen shows? And, and if you can see the video, it's absolutely stunning. I mean, this man is in full drag, looks just like the, the, the most radical drag queen you've ever seen, but yet... He is telling us, your kids don't need, this is not for children. I don't think it's for anybody myself. I think it's just bizarre. But to take your children to that, I think that is child abuse. You know, uh, in that clip where the mom goes, oh, this was wonderful, and then she pulls her child close to her and goes, didn't you think it was great? And the kid kind of looks at her like, uh, yeah. And he's little. Yeah, he's little. little. He's about like, two or three, yeah. three years old probably. But he didn't say, yeah, that no. was great, Mommy. And of course yeah, he's going to so. parrot his mother when she says, isn't that great? Well, you know, of course you're going to say yes. But it, the look on the child's face did not look like it was a great experience for him. Okay, uh, I, I want to say a final word here. Um, moms, I'll talk to you. I was a mom. I'm a grandmother now. This is not a game. This is not cute. It's not only damaging our kids, but you have to understand, this is an attack against the heart of God and his creation. Spiritually speaking, this is a deeply offensive uh, move from the pit of hell, not only to uh, hurt our children, 
but also to just break down the whole notion of male and female created he them. That is exactly what God did. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Don't let your children play with it. Watch what cartoons they watched. I just saw some cartoons recently where it's appalling what they're slipping into the cartoons. In this particular one, it's like four or five Asian guys who sing beautifully. Their music is great, but they're not. They're guys who dress like girls. Not not overtly like the drag queens, but earrings and makeup. Don't let your kids watch that. Guard them. Guard your children. That's what you have to do as best you can until the day you die. I think that goes for grandmothers too. Could I just say? Grandmas, grandmothers, take seriously your responsibility to teach your children and their children. Don't advocate because you're worried about your relationship. You have to be bold. You've got to be honest You, in some cases, are the last line of defense and certainly the voice of God if you speak the truth from his word. So I'm just telling you, don't let this slide. All right, so that's, um, uh, thank you for listening. I want to say, I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn. Thank you, Preborn, our first sponsor. They have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without me telling you about it and you responding all you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy. You will never regret any donations you give to saving the lives of babies. And I also want to thank Christian Healthcare Ministries. They're partners with us in, uh, philosophically, too. Uh, they're a serious Christian organization, and they provide health care for Christians who want to not have traditional health care who want to pool their resources and help each other with their bills. They've been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay and pray for one another's medical bills. All you have to do is go to chministries.org, chministries.org. I'm hoping that you'll save some money, but I, I think you just might get better care all around. I think it's something worth looking into. I highly recommend Christian Healthcare Ministries. All right, well, thanks for listening. This has been today's edition Oh, by the way, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you for having me. Today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.